Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. I recently took part in two public debates at Radford University and Eastern Mennonite University on the question of whether war can ever be justified. My debate partner was Pete Kilner, who teaches ethics at West Point Military Academy. The first debate at Radford University was recorded by David Barsamian's Alternative Radio. And with their permission, I am airing the first half of that first debate last week and the second half of that first debate this week. Uh, To hear both, you can visit talknationradio.org to see the videos of both debates, including the second debate, which happened the following evening. Go to davidswanson.org. We come into the middle of the debate. One more point. When I say that war can never be justified, I'm willing to agree to disagree about wars in the past if we can agree on wars in the future. That is, if you think that before nuclear weapons, before the end of legal conquest, before the general end of colonialism, and before the growth in understanding of the powers of nonviolence, some war like World War II was justified, I disagree, and I'll tell you why at length, but let's agree that we now live in a different world in which Hitler does not live and in which we must abolish war if our species is to continue. Of course, if you want to travel back in time to World War II, why not travel back to World War I, the disastrous conclusion of which had smart observers predicting World War II on the spot? Why not travel back to the West's support for Nazi Germany in the 30s? We can look honestly at a war in which the U.S. was not threatened and about which the U.S. president had to lie to gain support, a war that killed several times the number of people in the war as were killed in the Nazis' camps, a war that followed the West's refusal to accept the Jews whom Hitler wanted to expel, a war that was entered through provocation of the Japanese, not innocent surprise. We can learn history instead of mythology, but let's recognize that we can choose to do better than our history going forward. So when my colleague tells us that a war is only justified, this was his opening remarks, a war is justifiable when your country has been attacked by an aggressor nation. This does not describe any wars I'm aware of. It certainly does not describe the Gulf War. Who attacked the United States to start the Gulf War? Who attacked the United States to start the war on Bosnia? This is a mythology that somehow having U.S. troops abroad being attacked, or having our economic interest. This was Trump's State of the Union. He justified more military spending, more nuclear weapons, because nations might challenge our values or our economic interests. Are you going to threaten genocide for a better trade agreement? What do you mean, threaten your values? You mean not share them? I'd be glad if people didn't share Mr. Trump's values in many cases, I'm sorry to say. So I would love to hear from my colleagues some examples of when the United States was attacked by an aggressor nation and why we need to dump our grandchildren's unearned pay into preparing for that eventuality rather than making it less likely by behaving better as a citizen of the world and cooperating and making friends with other nations instead of provoking them to further war. Thank you. Thank you, especially for the nice setup at the end. Yeah, we haven't been attacked, which is wonderful. So we haven't been the person walking home tonight who gets attacked. But we are the fully capable person who can prevent other people from being attacked and who can come to their aid, whether it's to the Kuwaitis, 
whether it's the Bosnians, whether it's the people of France and England, I would encourage you to go over to World War II ceremonies in Europe. The people love us. I've lived in Europe. A pacifist is someone who has never been threatened, realistically. When you're threatened, you're willing to fight back. There's a great book called War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning, written by Chris Hedges. He was a New York Times correspondent uh, during the siege of Sarajevo. He was in Sarajevo. And just talking a few months ago, he said both these lines. He considered himself anti-war pacifist. He's seen too much war. He hates it. He says, war is always wrong. But, boy, I was really proud of those Sarajevans. They were totally justified in fighting to stop extinction from the Bosnian Serbs who were attacking him. Well, then war's not always wrong. The Bosnian Serbs were wrong, but you just said how much you admired and how much you loved and how proud you were of the Bosnian uh, Muslims fighting back. So it comes back to our same point. In war, there is always someone who's really bad, or maybe people who are really confused, but usually there's someone bad doing something they shouldn't, being a militarist. The person fighting back is justified. Suicide, that's a terrible thing. One thing I work for, if you look up for me or I work on, is moral injury. I think we have to help soldiers make sense of encountering evil in war. And it seems to just jump off on you. But the problem of suicide is a much bigger problem than just our veterans. It seems to be a problem of meaning within our society. We should love, we should love our enemies. I don't think we train this way. But I think it is fully consistent to love someone and in certain circumstances in order to protect others to do violence to them. Let's say I had an alcoholic brother who was very violent, who was in and out of jail for years. And one time when he's really drunk, he's coming out and saying he's got a gun, he's going to get in a car, and he wants to go kill some person for whatever reason. And all his other brothers, knowing you can't reason with him when he's drunk and he's this angry, go up and have to fight him, beat him up, to stop him from going out on the road, killing someone else or killing himself. That was an act of love. If you just came up with it, it was an act of violence. Two, two wars out of dozens and dozens of wars over the past decades cannot possibly justify keeping around the most disastrous, costly institution known to humanity, the worst thing we ever do to each other. We, we can talk about why those two particular wars were not necessary, were not last resorts, were not just causes, were not, I mean, the, the propaganda to sell the war on Yugoslavia, the, the intentional, as I said, avoiding of agreement in the debate, but to justify this disastrous institution and all of the agreed upon unjust wars uh, in recent decades with those two little wars uh, is ridiculous. Uh, I, I heard, Pete, in an in a interview, you talking about soldiers killing people uh, on Haifa Street in Baghdad, and they killed three insurgents, clearly bad people. What is a clearly bad person, I want to know? And how is it that you love them and characterize them based on not having met them, but having heard they were armed and in a street in Iraq, clearly bad people? And again, yet again, what good did killing all those people in all those streets in Iraq do for Iraq? Yes, we're, we're supposed to ask each other questions. I'm not sure if my... Partner wants to okay, do that. Okay, you can ask me a question first, and then I'll think of it. Well, I've, a I've asked quite a few. Uh, I've asked what good has been done uh, thus far to for Iraq. I've asked how you can quantify which wars are the good yeah. ones and which wars are the bad ones. Well, I mean, these are pretty good. I mean, the good ones are the ones in which there is a value to defending human rights in the political communities. I mean, I know you've never been to Iraq. You haven't been to Afghanistan. You haven't been to Kuwait. I've spent a lot of time there. I had the, the great luxury, I wasn't a trigger puller, I was a researcher. And so 
I went along with patrols day after day when their 2007 surge when they're clearing pretty much every house in Baghdad and in the country looking for weapons. I would just sit and talk with the family, with the interpreters while soldiers were going through things. Um, I found overwhelmingly the people wanted us there. They didn't trust our national police, which was all Shiite, who were executing Sunnis wherever they could find them. They didn't like the Sunni tribes and the sons of Iraq who were killing Shiites whenever they could. Maybe we made the mistake. I think Iraq was a strategic error. It was imprudent. If you're going to do a humanitarian invasion or a humanitarian intervention, you need to be set up and organized to do a humanitarian intervention. Can I reply or do you want to ask me a question? Or? Yeah, I would ask a question. So the people of Taiwan, the people of South Korea, the people of all of Central Europe, uh, these countries that are asking the United States to put forces there, asking us to help defend them, because they have a big neighbor who has territorial ambitions on them, do you think we should abandon them militarily and publicly announce that we would not come to their defense? Well, when I was in Afghanistan, despite never having been in Afghanistan, oh, I okay. saw well, a very are. different picture. And when I look at the world and talk with people around the world, as I do every day, I get a very different picture. Uh, when you poll the world, as I said in my opening remarks, you get a very different response. The U.S. not appreciated as the global cop, in fact, viewed as the greatest threat to peace in the world. The people of South Korea had a nonviolent revolution, an impeachment, uh, an overthrow, a new government, because the old government would not stand up to the United States. Uh, and the new president is now finally showing signs of standing up to the United States. The people of South Korea do not want a war between the United States and North Korea. They're the ones who are going to die in it. Uh, what the CIA said before attacking Iraq was any weapons they have will only be used if they're attacked. What the Pacific Command of the U.S. military says now is that North Korea is no threat. It would be suicidal for them. Uh, there is absolutely no chance uh, of North Korea starting this war. Uh, it is going to be the United States. And, and of course, Iran, the other demon uh, haunting everyone, hasn't started a war it, literally in centuries. Uh, do I think anybody wants a war? I think when you see the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations go and almost parrot word for word Colin Powell substituting the word Iran for Iraq, that's somebody wanting a war. I think when Mike Pence as well as the president of Japan and Mike Pence's wife seem to be the only three human beings in a giant stadium who cannot stand for a celebration of peace and unity and must sit on their rears glaring around at people wishing for hostilities. Uh, that's, that's resistance to peace, if nothing else. I'll, just, I'll do a final comment, because I think you try to create division where there's not. I, have deep concerns. I, I hate the military-industrial complex. Right? We don't need to be doing that. Um, I think we need to reassess our role around the world. Um, I think every country that we have forces in should have a plebiscite, have a vote to say whether they want us or make, a, make them commit to that. All of those are fully consistent with the principle for people in the United States or anywhere in the world that every political community has the right to defend itself against external attack. And if you don't think that there's bad actors who conduct external attacks, then I'm not sure how all these wars are always happening all over the, the war. Yeah.
But if you let, the, the you let the people of Jeju Island have a vote, there goes the new base on Jeju Island. You let the people of Okinawa have a vote, there goes the... You let the people of Italy have a vote, there go the base. I mean, the, 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 the protests, well, let's see. the resistance... What do you mean, let's see? Vicenza, Italy, where I used to live, they had a public vote. Do you want the base expanded several fold? Overwhelmingly, no. They, over, they threw out the government. They overthrew the national government of Italy over this issue. And what happened? They built the base anyway. I, I guess I have to trust you on the things I know about. I get some concerns, but we can open the questions. I'm a um, discharge, honorably discharged member of the Air Force of the United States as a conscientious objector um, back around the time of the Vietnam War. I want to offer my questions to uh, Pete. You may see my shirt here. It says, if Jesus, when Jesus says love our enemies, I think he meant don't kill them. Um, in light of Jesus' teaching to love our enemies, how does any war make sense? That's my first question. And as a member of the Church of the Brethren, one of the historic peace churches, we have always taken the position that all war is sin. Um, what's your response to that? And then thirdly, if I may, you said that a pacifist, and I'm a conscientious objector, so I guess you could say I'm a pacifist, is one who's never been threatened. I would ask you about Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela who were threatened and who remained nonviolent. And that's great. You could add Gandhi to that, right? Because they were, they were trying to convince a, a wider population that did have strong values and care about what's right and wrong. So that's the third, your question. The first question about how can we love our neighbor and kill them. You don't go just... Enemies and kill how, them. How, yeah, your enemies. Well, everyone's our neighbor, right, in that sense. I think a... a very healthy analogy for thinking about war is a doctor performing an amputation. Because if you just look at the action, that dude just went up and cut someone's leg off with a saw. It's violent, it's sad, it changes things forever bad, right? But in the larger context, the only choices they had at that point were to let the person die or to perform the amputation. So war happens in the realm of really bad choices. Right? War happens when we all say we want peace, but someone's not allowing that to go on. It's sad. It's tragic. War isn't good. War isn't like helping people cross the street. War is saying is we have an awful situation. What can we do to end the situation to reestablish peace and security? Sometimes you have to say it's not the most loving thing to do to engage you, but it's the loving thing to protect all these people you're threatening. That's how. I'm a scientist, physicist, and biologist. Why is there war, and why is it persistent? The point I would make from the, the perspective of human biology is that the low casualty rate of war, historically, is an indicator that war pays, that war has benefit. And the benefit is that the predator gets away with something. And the other side of that coin is that those who would be preyed upon have better organized themselves and get defensive. So you have the mechanism for generating war. So if the casualty rate in war were to be extreme, 50%. Every time you go to war, you're going to suffer a 50% casualty rate. 
And you can also add to that the loss of treasure. There will be a 50% loss of national treasure. It, would, it wouldn't be done. But the fact that it's low yeah. makes it feasible. Can, can so I respond pace. to this one? Because I also wanted to respond to your earlier. Okay. Can I make bits. one pithy comment and then you get the whole thing? I was say, the biggest thing we could do to cut down on unnecessary wars is make it that everyone who votes for war, the president and everyone else, their family members have to go fight on the front lines. Because if, if it's really worth it, then it should be worth it for your family and your lives too. Once that was the case with Leonidas, right, and some kind of leaders, and we have the opposite now, and that's a risk. I think uh, your comments, uh, sir, are very helpful and useful and relevant. I, I think it's useful to point out that the casualty rate uh, in Iraq uh, was very significant in the recent wars for the Iraqi population, uh, whereas the U.S. deaths in that war, like in most wars that take up 90% of the reported deaths in U.S. media, were, you know, 3% or something of the deaths in that war. I, I just wanted to speak to this constant retreating to analogies. Uh, because, you know, <laughs> it, it, a good Samaritan, as an individual, uh, is not relevant to the institution of war or the launching of war by governments or non-governmental groups. Even warmonger herself, Margaret Thatcher, said if the Good Samaritan had just had good intentions, nobody would remember him. He also had money. Well, he not only had money, he had a voice. He had a brain. This notion that if you see someone being attacked on a street, there's nothing you can do but shoot the attacker. That you can't say, for example, as, as uh, you know, to, to take the analogy to the level of U.S. military spending, would you like $5 trillion to stop attacking that person? But, it, but it's just to even, for me to even engage in that discussion takes us away from the question of war, which has almost no relationship to doctors performing surgeries or people rescuing victims of mugging. If, if we're going to talk about war, Let's talk about some wars. Um, there's one issue in particular that I'm really interested to hear more uh, from you, especially from David, and that's on the issue of nonviolent resistance to evil in the world. Um, I personally am skeptical that, that that can always be effective. I think there are some cases where it may not be effective. I think, you know, obviously the seminal example in history is the Jews of um, Germany and Eastern Europe in, in the World War II period under Hitler and doing sort of the Gandhi-style nonviolent resistance may not have been effective in that case. Um, but it sounds like your opinion is that it always can be effective and I'm interested to hear more about specifically how you believe that that can be the case uh, in a situation like, for example, fighting back against Hitler nonviolently. Another point I want to make or question related to this is what do you think about the idea of international institutions taking over the responsibility in the world for peacekeeping? What if we had a more robust United Nations, for example, or some kind of organization of that nature that would play the role of being sort of the defense mechanism of last resort in cases like genocide. Nonviolent movements are not always effective. No one has ever claimed they are. What ha the facts have shown is that they have become over twice as likely to succeed as principally violent movements. Uh, I, I wish these 
plastic bottles of water around here were Evian because I think it's relevant that Evian is a town in France where the Western uh, the nations of the world met and considered where, where will we accept all the Jews that, that the Nazis want to expel. They didn't want to kill them for years. They wanted to expel them. It's equally, ins- not equally, but it's insane. And the outcome was, as with numerous other conferences, through right through the course of the war, we will not accept them. It, it, right through the course of the war, Churchill and, and the, the State Department were telling uh, peace activists who were demanding that the Jews be taken out. We can't be bothered. We couldn't do it. You know, we know a lot more about nonviolence now than people knew back then. Uh, so I think when you, go, when you look at something like the people in Tunisia seven years ago overthrowing a government with a nonviolent movement, you know, many, you know, many flaws, far from, you know, perfect paradise in Tunisia, you wouldn't go back to them and say, hey, you really should try this other method that kills lots of people and is over twice as likely to fail. You know, just because they might have failed, of course they might have failed. Yeah, when I heard the question, you know, is nonviolence always effective, has there ever been a nonviolent movement that has expelled a foreign invader? Well, you're not going to count the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe. You're not going to count the Baltics and their nonviolent movements that, that took apart the Soviet Union. If you're not going to count Morocco in Western Sahara, if you're not going to count Israel in parts of Palestine, if you're not going to count uh, parts of Ukraine, in fact, in, in the current turmoil on both sides of the question, e- expelling armed invaders nonviolently from their cities. I mean, what, what are you going to count as a violent invasion? Well, Do you want to have a final word? Because I just had a final word. Well, you can I, I would conclude that, uh, in, a, in large agreement that the power to destroy the earth with fire and fury uh, at the drop of a button should not be entrusted to anyone. Anybody, nobody should have that. Uh, And if we did have a referendum, as was almost enacted in the 1930s before any war, we wouldn't have any wars. Uh, If we had democracy instead of wars to spread democracy, we wouldn't have wars. I'd love to believe that's true, except they're always popular when they start uh, with a whole lot of support. What soldiers worry about is when you get us into silly wars, aren't committed as a nation to do it. And then we're stuck with fighting it when the popularity goes away. Let's have a big round of applause. Thank you. That was Pete Kilner and David Swanson. Is war ever justifiable? They spoke at Radford University in Radford, Virginia. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are independent and part of the nonprofit media education organization Rise Up. We are supported solely by individuals just like you. We feature progressive voices rarely heard in the media, such as Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, Michael Parenti, Noam Chomsky, Michelle Alexander, Nancy McLean, and Nomi Prince. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, Alternative Radio. Again, our website where we are podcasting, alternativeradio.org. Joe Ritchie is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening. We go out with Edwin Starr, War. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
This is David Swanson. We've been listening to an excerpt from Alternative Radio, which aired a debate I participated in with Pete Kilner, a professor of ethics, as they call it, at West Point Military Academy. Pete and I held this debate at Radford University and another the following evening at Eastern Mennonite University, both of them here in Virginia. The Videos of both debates are available at davidswanson.org. The audio uh, from Alternative Radio, the first half of this first debate was aired last week, and you can find it at talknationradio.org. We have listened to the second half of the first debate this week. I think the second debate was actually... Uh, the best one, and again, you can watch the complete video of both debates at davidswanson.org. Here's No More War by Howard Switzer. All of us out on the street thinks everybody should understand that killing don't stop killing very good. I don't care how it started, don't matter anymore. Cause no amount of killing's gonna even up the score. No more war, no more war. Tell Congress and the President, no more war. Until they stop that killing, we'll be here by the door. Till everybody's singing, no more war. We know why they do it, making war that is. They make a lot of money off of the war biz. They say it's the price of freedom. We know that's a lie. They just like to make money. Don't care how many die. No more war. No more war. Tell Congress and the President. No more war. Until they stop that killing. We'll be here by the door. Till everybody's singing, no more war. And it's not just the people suffering the loss. Two hundred species every day going with the albatross. The air, food, soil, and water, we've got to share it all. And any war upon the earth is a war upon us all. No more war. No more war, tell Congress and the President. No more war, until they stop that killing. We'll be here by the door, till everybody's singing. No more war. And there's another kind of war that you all know about. Instead of guns and bombs, they use their economic clout. Embargo food and medicine, so children do without. 
Such manipulation makes me want to shout, No more war, no more war, Tell Congress and the President, No more war, until they stop that killing, We'll be here by the door, till everybody's singing, No more war. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.